This is Workers' Comp Matters, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, the only legal talk network program that focuses entirely on the people and the law in workers' compensation cases. Nationally recognized trial attorney, expert, and author, Alan S. Pierce is a leader committed to making a difference when workers' comp matters. Welcome to Legal Talk Network and Workers' Comp Matters. I'm Alan S. Pierce. I'm an attorney. I practice law in Salem, Massachusetts at Alan S. Pierce & Associates, where we specialize in personal injury and workers' compensation litigation. Past workers' compensation matters shows have dealt with various issues dealing uh, with workers' compensation cases, latex allergies, sports injuries, sick building cases, and the like. And today, we're going to deal with the topic of Social Security disability and how that impacts on or integrates with workers' compensation benefits. Today, I'm delighted to have with me a colleague, friend, and associate who I've known for many years, Attorney William Troop. Bill is an attorney with the law firm of Carney and Troop in Boston, Mass. He has recently been joined in his practice by his son, Adam, and having had my son, Judson, join my firm several years ago, I know Bill will enjoy the experience of watching Adam develop just like his old man. Bill and I have labored in the vineyards of workers' comp law for, I hate to say it, over 30 years, and we've both seen the practice and procedure change and evolve with the times. It seems whenever there's a seminar or continuing legal education program, Bill is among the first lawyers called to speak. And over the years, he's developed a particular expertise regarding Social Security disability law and, more appropriately, integrating or coordinating Social Security disability benefits with workers' compensation benefits. And this is the area Bill is here today to talk to us about. Welcome to Workers' Comp Matters, Bill. Thanks, Alan. Bill, I guess a good place to start is uh, to describe briefly the requirements uh, for an injured worker to obtain Social Security disability benefits. Well, the... To get Social Security disability benefits uh, requires an application that one has to make with the Social Security Administration, which is a federal uh, organization, and it's throughout the whole United States. It's the same. Um, Papers are filed. You have to supply medical records. And if the state agency of the particular state where you live determines that you have a serious enough medical condition, uh, you can be approved. Now, basically, you have to convince them that you have a medical condition, uh, whether it's physical or mental, that will totally disable you for substantial gainful activity which means if you can only prove you can't do your old job, you may not have enough proof. You have to show that you can't do any work that's available in the local, regional, or national economy that exists in significant numbers. Uh, And if you can do that, you would be approved, and you could get some monthly benefits. Now, most people, when they hear Social Security, they think of what we used to call old-age benefits, age 62, 65, or now for us baby boomers, 67 or 66 years of age eligibility. But Social Security disability doesn't have a age limit, does it? No. Um, in fact, most people, when I suggest they file, uh, look at me and say, I'm not ready to retire, and I have to explain that this is not based on age. It, it can be available for people in their 20s. 
Now, are there uh, a period? Is there a period of time someone has to have worked and/or paid into Social Security in order to be eligible to apply? Yes, for most adults, um, people over the age of say thirty-five, you have to have forty quarters, which is ten years of work, and uh, te- twenty of those. 40 quarters must be within the last five years prior to your onset of disability. So you can't just uh, work one half a year and then file for Social Security disability. There are special rules, however, for people uh, who are younger. Basically, people uh, over the age of 18 but younger than 35 have to have worked in one half of the quarters since they turned 18. And how long does somebody have to be disabled before they qualify for eligibility for Social Security disability? You have to have a medical condition which will has lasted or will is expected to last for at least 12 months. And how long a waiting period is there before you can begin to collect benefits from the onset or the day you became disabled? Yeah, the, you, do, you do not collect benefits for the first five months. Uh, there is a five-month waiting period. So if you were out of work 15 months, you would technically only be able to collect for 10. And if you are subsequently awarded Social Security, um, first of all, how long a process is it from the point that you apply and take us through the steps if it's denied. Okay. Um, the application process is usually done with a personal interview in the district office, although it can be done online. But online applications are rather cumbersome, and a lot of people aren't, a lot of my clients aren't sophisticated enough to do it. Uh, so I have them go in and do it. But then they, they, they there is a period of time that can take several months for them to accumulate all of your medical records. And um, if it is, and and it, it may be approved very quickly. Uh, I've seen some people with very obvious conditions, such as bad cancers, uh, strokes, that do get approved within one or two months. And uh, so they're approved even while they're still waiting for their five-month waiting period. But a lot of the my experience has been with people who are denied, and if you're denied at first, you have 60 days to file what's called a request for reconsideration, which should be filed within 60 days of the receipt of the denial. And you Mo- should file those certified mail return receipt requests. It's always a good idea when dealing with Social Security to do that, or if the client goes into the district office, have them give them a stamped copy that they've received it. Uh, but my experience is that most people who are denied initially get denied at the reconsideration, and then you have another 60-day period from the denial of the reconsideration to file what's called a request for a hearing before an administrative law judge. And where do those hearings take place, and what are they like? Uh, they take place uh, in a major city near your location. Uh, here in Boston, they have a Boston Office of Hearings and Appeals. There's one in Worcester, and I think there's or there's one in Springfield, um, and maybe a small one in Worcester. But most large cities have them. There are one or two in New Hampshire, several in Maine, Connecticut. Big cities have them. So they, don't, they usually do not require you to have to travel more than 40 or 50 miles to get there at, at the most. Uh, and what happens is you go into the hearing. Uh, there's an administrative law judge there who is a uh, federal administrative law judge who hears nothing but Social Security disability cases. He is not a judge of general jurisdiction. Uh, and I have found most of the judges to be very pleasant people, uh, with few exceptions, but most of them are very nice. They try to make people feel comfortable. Sitting in the room will be the claimant, 
the judge, a per, the judge's assistant who runs the tape machine, they make an audio tape of the testimony, and the attorney, if the claimant is represented, and sometimes a vocational expert who will be there to talk about the person's past jobs. But the important point is there's no one there as an attorney representing the government. So it isn't like he's, the client will be subject to a serious or hard cross-examination. Um, but you will agree that the judge has more a more expansive role in, in asking questions than a judge normally would sitting in uh, a civil or a criminal case. Absolutely. And how because, does that work? Well, because there is no attorney there representing the government, um, especially with a pro se applicant, meaning per, a person who is not represented by his own attorney, um, the judge has a, a responsibility under the statute and the regulations to develop the record and ask all the pertinent questions, some of which may be somewhat critical to the claimant. So they should be ready to hear that occasionally. How do attorneys get paid that represent injured workers or Social Security claimants? Okay, well, that's a good question because a lot of people sometimes are afraid to get legal counsel because they can't afford to pay the lawyer. It's very you have to be very clear on this, that there is no fee on Social Security disability work that I do or any attorneys do by law unless you're successful. Uh, Social Security does allow the use of what's called a contingent fee agreement, and that they will approve contingent fee agreements that provide for a 25% fee to the attorney paid only if the claim is successful, and that comes out of 25% of the retroactive benefits due the wage earner or other members in his family who will also get benefits. And is that um, 25% contingent fee capped at a certain dollar amount? Yes. Right now, as of this point, I believe it's $5,300, so that if there were $30,000 in retroactive benefits, uh, 25% would be $7,500. Uh, that will not be the fee. The fee will be limited to the $5,300. And are these benefits taxable? Well, the lawyer's fee is obviously taxable uh, to yes, the lawyer's income. Yes, it's taxable income, to us. Yeah. Uh, the Social Security disability benefits can be taxable, as all Social Security benefits are. From my experience, most of my clients do not end up paying taxes because most of my clients are the breadwinner in their family, and there's very little, if any, other income in the family other than uh, what they're getting from Social Security. And it usually only becomes taxable when they file a joint return and the there is other income in the family that exceeds, I believe, it's $32,000. Yeah, it's in the 30s. Yeah. yeah. Now, let's say you are denied, uh, your client is denied through the initial application, the, re the redetermination, and then you have the hearing, and it takes some time to get the hearing decision. How far retroactive is the award when, when and if it is finally made? Well, the award can be retroactive for up to one year prior to the date you filed. And... In, a, in the, around the Boston area, it can take um, more, a little more than a year between the time you file and the time you may get a decision from a judge after a successful hearing result. So there technically could be, many times, two years of retroactive payments. But your question, how far retroactive can it be? It can go back one year prior to the application date. And how uh, long can a claimant wait before he or she files? Is there a statute of limitations? Let's say somebody's been on workers' comp or has been disabled for 10 years. No, there's no statute of limitations on Social Security disability. Um, but 
you have to be mindful of one thing, and that is called the date last insured. Um, your Social Security disability coverage, for want of a better word, lasts no more than five years after you last worked. So if you waited for 10 years, you could still prevail, but you'd have to show that your disability became total at some point within five years of when you last worked. So you'd have to do that through a, an examination of the retroactive medical records that were right. in existence five years or exactly. more from the date you filed. And if you do file late, uh, you, as I said, we just talked about that, but you can still only get money for one year prior to the application date. Okay. Now, somebody's on workers' comp, and in Massachusetts, the formula for total disability or temporary total disability is 60% of the worker's pre-injury wage. Many other states, it's usually two-thirds or 66 and two-thirds percent. How does an award of Social Security disability coordinate with the workers' comp benefit that's being received? The coordination is determined by what's called uh, 80% of ACE, A-C-E, which is an acronym standing for Average Current Earnings. And what you do is you look at the year the person becomes disabled and the five preceding years, and you take the one highest year. Then you divide that by 12, and that's your average current earnings, and you take 80% of that. And what the Social Security rules say is that we will pay you Social Security disability benefits, but you cannot exceed 80% of your ACE between what we're going to pay you and what workers' comp is paying you. So if workers' comp is giving you 60%, in some cases the person may only get an additional 20% from Social Security, even though if they were not getting workers' comp, they might get a lot more from Social Security. And that's known in our parlance and the workers' comp, Social Security parlance, as a workers' comp offset. That's correct. And that's similar to an offset that may apply if instead of workers' comp, the claimant were receiving long-term disability benefits or another system of wage replacement. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's take this hypothetical client who's getting 60%, gets an award of Social Security disability that is, let's say, $800 a month. And if this person were not on workers' comp, he or she might be getting $1,200 a month. So there's an offset of $400 a month. Let's say workers' comp benefits are reduced from total disability to partial, or they go away entirely, let's say, by lump sum settlement. Mm -hmm. How does the Social Security Administration recalculate the offset, and what can an attorney do to maximize his client's recovery? Well, uh, in your first uh, example where the benefits uh, on workers' comp were reduced, uh, presumably by the action of the workers' comp board in that state, uh, what you would do is notify Social Security uh, by writing them a letter uh, and sending a copy of the perhaps the award or the reduction letter issued by the state workers' comp judge and maybe even a copy of the client's most recent comp check reflecting the weekly reduction. And they will then recalculate uh, what, if any, workers' comp offset will happen. I've had many clients who were in a workers' comp offset had their benefits reduced on workers' comp, and then are able to get an increase in their Social Security. Now, the other part of your question was what you can do when there's a settlement, and that is something that uh, can uh, be done very effectively to uh, resolve workers' comp cases because if you allocate money 
uh, in the workers' comp settlement and you prorate it out over the person's life expectancy, you can uh, take away entirely most uh, Social Security workers' comp offsets. It's called, uh, it was named after a, a man in New Jersey named Mr. Sharada. The Sharada allocation uh, is very effective. And what it is in, in particular is if we settle a workers' comp case for uh, $100,000 and the person has a, let's just say, a 10-year life expectancy at that point, we can prorate his settlement over 10 years. So that would be 10000 a year or $200 a week, um, and if his workers' comp prior to settling was 500 then what happens is if he was in an offset before he settled, the offset usually goes away. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to Attorney Bill Troop and discussion of Social Security Disability. We'll be right back on the Legal Talk Network with more from our host, Attorney Alan S. Pierce, and his guests on Workers' Comp Matters, where we focus on the people and legal issues in workers' comp cases. Workers' Comp Matters with Attorney Alan S. Pierce is produced right here at the Legal Talk Network by a staff of professional news broadcasters. We're the only ones who can provide the best quality shows with the latest legal news, talk, and information in an interactive format you won't find anywhere else. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Want to know more about Legal Talk Network host and attorney Alan S. Pierce? He's nationally known for his expertise in workers' comp and the law. Appointed by two governors to the State Workers' Compensation Advisory Council on the editorial board of the Journal of Workers' Compensation, leading lawyers across the country with a commitment beyond passion. Find out more about Attorney Pierce on the Legal Talk Network website under About Us. Welcome back to Workers' Comp Matters here on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Alan Pierce and am joined today by Bill Troop, a lawyer here in Boston with the law firm of Carney and Troop, a workers' comp practitioner, a social security disability expert, and um, one of the uh, leaders of the bar in Massachusetts uh, in matters involving disability issues, representing injured workers and their families. We've been talking about Social Security disability benefits. We have a few more questions for Bill, but um, I want to uh, shift a little bit. Bill, we have a feature on workers' comp matters that we call Case of the Day, and uh, I 
try to find an interesting appellate decision of a workers' comp case, which, as you know, the facts are very varied in workers' comp cases. As long as you and I have practiced, I don't think we will ever see the end of the types of ways either people end up getting hurt or the legal issues that define whether or not they're entitled to benefits. And Bill, today's case of the day comes from the Wisconsin Court of Appeals. It's the case of Labor Ready versus the Labor and Industry Review Commission. Now, in that case, a gentleman by the name of Carnett Powell brought a claim for workers' compensation benefits against Labor Ready, which is a temporary help agency which operated a hiring hall. And the facts are these. Uh, Powell arrived at the hiring hall at 5.15 a.m., waiting for the doors to open at 7. Uh, before the doors opened, another person who was also seeking work cut into line ahead of him. Words were exchanged, and Powell was struck by the other individual, causing him to fall and break his shoulder. A claim was filed for workers' comp benefits. Uh, Labor Ready and its insurance company denied the claim. However, an administrative judge agreed with Labor Ready that Powell was not an employee as defined under Wisconsin state law, and that denial was appealed through the Review Commission, the Circuit Court, and ultimately reached the Wisconsin Court of Appeals. Now, Carnett's position was that Labor Ready required people seeking work to complete an application and present themselves each day at the hiring hall to obtain their work assignment. He had worked as a day laborer on other assignments uh, in the past, and he was there that day to do it again. Labor Ready, however, argued the language in their application agreement stated, among other things, that the applicant understands that the employment is on a day-to-day basis, and at the end of each day, the employee will have been deemed to have quit until he reports to the dispatch hall and receives a work assignment at a later date. Since Powell had not received a work assignment, uh, Labor Ready argued he was not an employee as defined in the uh, agreement that he signed. And it was obviously while Powell was at the hall waiting for the doors to open that the altercation and injury occurred. Now, the issue before the Wisconsin Court of Appeals was whether Carnett Powell was indeed an employee acting in the scope of his employment at the time of the injury. What do you think the Wisconsin Court of Appeals did in this case, Bill? Well, I think my initial reaction would be that the case is not compensable only because, uh, well, primarily because um, going by what we do here in Massachusetts, the uh, incident occurred apparently on the sidewalk outside the front door of the, the office where they are um, where they conduct their business or do the hiring. And in Massachusetts, uh, you have to be injured. To collect comp, you have to be injured uh, in the course of it and have an injury arising out of the employment. And injuries on uh, public walks and streets uh, that uh, are... Uh, across the street or abutting where they normally work are not compensable. Um, The uh, situation here in Massachusetts is that uh, if a person gets injured in the lobby of the building where his employer has an office, they're covered. Uh, On the sidewalk, I think I would say that in and of itself would rule it out here in Mass. Uh, The issue about whether he hadn't been given a contract of hire on that particular day also, I think, might have been somewhat uh, fatal to the claim here in Massachusetts. But uh, I'd be interested to know what they did in Wisconsin. Well, um I would have agreed with you uh, by looking at the Massachusetts uh, law, and um, as other guests on Workers' Comp Matters have found, um, you were wrong. The court in Wisconsin held that the claimant was required by Labor Ready to be at its place of business to obtain a work assignment. I may have thrown you off 
because I don't, I don't think in my facts I said sidewalk. I just said outside the hall, and it, it wasn't really clear. But the court said uh, that Powell was performing a service incidental to his employment, that he was on the employer's premises, so they must have, he must have been at a point comparable to the corridor uh, as opposed to a public street. Uh, and they, they held that Powell was on the employer's premises at the employer's direction for an employment-related purpose within a reasonable interval after his last work assignment. Um, Perhaps the result may have differed if this was his first time and had never worked at all for labor ready. But uh, as you point out, um, and we should point out in workers' comp matters, the law in Massachusetts may be different than the law in Wisconsin, and in this case it it seems to be. And uh, there are 50 states and other jurisdictions and other uh, types of workers' comp, and every case is fact-specific, jurisdiction-specific, and sometimes very minor points may turn a case. But your analysis is correct. The Wisconsin court, however, found just a slight bit of difference enough to award benefits. Uh, getting back to Social Security disability, how long can it last once you're awarded? Well, it can, it can last up to the age of normal retirement, which for Alan and I is probably 66. Uh, most people uh, a little older than us would be 65. Uh, but it, uh, what happens is you you can collect it if you can prove that you're if you they're satisfied that you continue to be totally disabled right up until the age at which you could receive maximum uh, or normal retirement from Social Security. And does it automatically change over without any activity by the claimant? Yep, it should, and it should be the same continuing benefit. And speaking of getting that retirement benefit, how does Medicare or medical coverage fit into the scheme of benefits in Social Security disability, let's say in a 20-year-old who somehow qualifies? Yeah, it, it, it does allow them to collect uh, Medicare benefits once they're in the begin, uh, after they've been on Social Security entitlement for two years. So basically that would be two years and five months of being disabled. Uh, you would then be entitled to receive a Medicare card, and it's pretty reasonable. It's probably $50 a month, and it's uh, pretty good coverage, and for many people it's their only coverage. Now, an injured worker that has young or dependent children, uh, are there additional benefits under those situations? Yes. Um, the what they the wife and children are called uh, auxiliary beneficiaries. They're collecting uh, as a result of the breadwinner in their family being found disabled, and uh, the auxiliary beneficiaries can collect fifty percent of what the uh, amount that the wage earner is getting uh, for for his or her benefit. Now, putting aside workers' comp relationship, if the wage earner was entitled to receive a maximum of 1500 the auxiliary beneficiaries would split. If there are two or three, they'd, they'd each get an equal amount of the other 750 which is half. Uh, if there is three children, they'd each get $250. If there's one child, that one child would get 750 Workers' comp, however, when they interrelate, could cause a change in that. It could erase any benefits to auxiliary beneficiaries based on that 80% ACE calculation. Now, once somebody is found uh, disabled as to the criteria set by Social Security, either on its, his or her application or by a decision of the administrative law judge, uh, are these disability approvals ever reviewed or challenged? Yeah, they are. Um, it's... Uh, 
it's not exactly a hard and fast rule that everybody is going to be examined after, or re-examined after two or three years. Younger people tend to be re-evaluated a little more frequently, especially if they don't have a uh, a, a catastrophic type injury like uh, you know a stroke or or a very bad heart attack or something like that. Uh, they are periodically reviewed. The person is given a notice that they are being reviewed, and they're given an opportunity to submit up-to-date medical from their own doctors, and if Social Security is still curious, they can send them out for a consultative exam with one of their doctors. And very briefly before we close, can somebody return to work and still receive benefits? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, Yes, you can get up to a one-year trial work period, uh, which means that you could go back to work and be earning maybe even what you earned before you ever got disabled and still collect benefits for nine months. And considering the two- to three-month stopping period, it effectively lasts for a year. So it's a very big incentive for someone who's thinking they're ready to go back to work to give it a try. Bill, thank you very much for joining us today on Workers' Comp Matters. It's been a pleasure. Um, I enjoyed talking to you. We want to thank everyone for listening today. Thanks again for listening to Workers' Comp Matters. Go out and make it a day that matters. Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other Workers' Comp Matters shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.